Welcome to our evening assembly. The first passage I'll refer to is in Ecclesiastes. You are familiar with that if you're a participant in our adult Bible classes on Sundays and Wednesdays. I think what I'm doing tonight is following up from something I brought up this morning in that sermon about book, chapter, and verse and my reference to context. We should always read the Bible and study passages in their context, their historical setting. Only when we understand a verse in its setting, its context, can we then move toward application. Similar to that, and part of that, is observing connections in Scripture. I'm going to work with that idea tonight, and I'll call this Connections That Can Change Us. It is this simple. You are reading through the Bible, and you see two things connected. If those two things are connected on the page, they need to be connected in my knowledge and in my life. Let me say that again. That's the premise I'm developing this evening. If two things are connected on the page of Scripture, they need to be connected in my knowledge and toward my application. And I have this evening four examples. And if you're in the Ecclesiastes class, the first will be very familiar. Fear God and keep His commandments. Everything in the book of Ecclesiastes moves in this direction. And it says, the last two verses, New King James, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So in our class, we've made the point that this is Solomon's destination. Everything in Ecclesiastes is moving in this direction. Life under the sun without God is vanity and a striving after when. Once we recognize that, the next step is to fear and respect God, but observe what this is connected to. It's connected to obedience, keeping his commandments graciously given by our maker. And those who have not kept his commandments can be forgiven upon their obedient and penitent response to Jesus Christ. Now, if I separate what is connected, I'm guilty of error. I'm not attending to the matter at hand. The whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. You know, little words on the pages of scripture can have such great meaning. They can have packed into them such vivid truth. Like the word and and if. Fear God and keep his commandments. Those things are connected. So that means obedience without fearing God doesn't fulfill the text. If I just go through the motions 
of external obedience without godly fear in my heart, I've not fulfilled the text. Similarly, fearing God, saying we are fearing God, thinking we are fearing God, but not obeying Him doesn't fulfill the text. The connection must be made, fear God and keep His commandments. I said this morning, where there is a thus saith the Lord, man's response ought to be reverent, responsive, continued obedience. Well, this is right here on the page in Ecclesiastes 12. It's godly fear that is connected to a response. Godly fear isn't terror that would characterize a victim or someone on the run. It is reverent respect for the Almighty God that will take us to Him in every way the Bible says we ought to be taken to Him. Him who made us and who is willing to redeem us through His Son. So godly fear is not just what you say, nor is godly fear just a vague emotion. It is such reverence as will motivate and lead to compliance with His will, obedience that is directed for us in the Word of Christ. So once I start separating what is connected in Scripture, I'm moving in the wrong direction in my reading and study. Once I deceive myself into thinking that I can fear God without obedience, or that I can obey God without fear, I've separated what is connected, and this is all about context. In fact, the word context and the word connection are from the same family, one thing with another. Let's do this again. Sowing and reaping. Full context in Galatians 6, 1 to 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will bear his own load." Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, 
Let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what we're looking for now is two things connected. And if we disconnect them, we lose the point of the teaching. So think of sowing as the energy we apply in the way we live. Think of sowing as the energy we apply in the way we live. The standard we follow, the attitudes we cultivate, the interaction with people, the worship, the work. All the New Testament says about being a Christian. Sowing. Think of the energy in the way we apply the New Testament. Well, all of that is connected to what? It is connected to an outcome. A harvest. Sold to the flesh, you'll get one kind of harvest. Sold to the spirit, you'll reap another kind of harvest. As I get up every day and do what I do, as you get up and do what you do, we must not forget that everything we do has an outcome. I will reap what I sow. If you talk about attitudes, if you talk about how much time you spend or do not spend in the Word of God in daily Bible reading, your prayer life, your interaction with people, your evangelistic attitude toward those who are lost. When you get up every day, we must not forget that what we're doing has an outcome. Either the outcome that Paul identifies that leads to corruption, sowing to the flesh, or the better outcome, sowing to the Spirit. If I want a good harvest, I must sow with the harvest in mind. If I want a good harvest, I must sow with a good harvest in mind. And Paul says that's living according to what the Holy Spirit has revealed. And, and here's something to think about. Results are not altogether immediate. In actual farming and in spiritual farming, results are not altogether immediate. When I do what is good and right, in that moment of obedience, God is pleased, and I'm pleased to do what pleases Him. But there are future results I will receive if I continue to do what is good and right. A farmer sows in the spring, but he doesn't expect to reap until fall. James made reference to this in James 5, 7. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. Reaping is done in a different season from sowing. So we are spiritual farmers in the planting season all the time. And what we reap will be according to how we sow and the results are not altogether immediate. In fact, the primary result that we are striving for is to be at home with God someday. Connections that can change us. We're all familiar with this one. We're all familiar with James 2, 
14 to 26. And we often bring this up when we're talking to people who have a very different view of what New Testament Christianity is about. But what should our first application be with any passage that we study? What should our first application be? It should be to us. James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. Let me pause there. That's a connection. Along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. That's outcome. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. That is faith unconnected with the activity of obedience. I sometimes think of what the Lord said on another subject. He said, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And it has occurred to me that in addition to marriage, which is the context of that statement, Matthew 19, in addition to marriage, God has joined certain things together, like in this case, faith and works. And this has been a long religious controversy. One of the celebrated doctrines of denominational and evangelical mainstream religion has been and is salvation by faith alone. In spite of this clear teaching and other vivid passages like our reference this morning to John chapter 3. And it seems so simple and logical even if we didn't have James 2. I mean, if you believe something with all your heart, why would you not act on that belief? Illustrations. If you believe the doctor is trustworthy and competent, why would you ignore his or her instructions? 
If you believe your financial advisor is qualified and trustworthy, why would you not take the recommended actions? Now, step above those illustrations. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, if you've read the evidence in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and that's your conviction, he gave his life for your salvation, why wouldn't you do what he said? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16. James, it seems to me, exposes in very simple words the obvious, which is what James does all through his letter. If you believe the truth of the gospel, why wouldn't you act on that belief? So what God has joined together should be kept together, faith and works. In John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, there's something I think I'm going to be talking about more, maybe next Sunday. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I'm working on a sermon, maybe next week, on worship. And one point I'll make is the truth about who God is, is the basis and motivation of our worship. The truth about who God is, is the basis and motivation of our worship. We do not worship an unknown God. He has made himself known to us through nature and then through scripture, the moral instruction, the way of salvation, his son. Our worship must take into reverent account who God is. John says that Jesus said he is spirit. So we worship him who is unseen but very real, eternal, sovereign, and the one to whom we will give account. But notice that two things are combined, spirit and truth. I worship God who is spirit according to the truth he has revealed. I approach him not just with sincerity of heart about who he is and how deserving and worthy praise to him is, but I know that he has revealed how we should worship him. So we don't have to make up acts of worship or borrow from paganism. We follow what he's revealed, the truth. We source our worship with book, chapter, and verse, connecting who God is with what God has said. Worship in spirit and in truth. Here in John 4, 23 and 24, studied well in context, knowing we must never separate worshiping in spirit and in truth. I believe God's word was written to be received by the minds he gave us. I mentioned that this morning. Our brains are wired by our maker 
to recognize words and understand images and navigate context and draw conclusions. You've heard me say, I may have said this this morning, rocks, trees, and dirt were made by God, but not in His image. We were made in His image. God made us so that we can read and think and objectively process information and then use that information to form attitudes, love Him, love each other, obey Him, help each other. All in the context of the total whole counsel of God. Just reading and holding information like a database is not the purpose. The purpose is to read and know God and learn about Christ and understand what our response should be. Fearing God and keeping His commandments. Let's be standing while we sing. Amen.